glory, fortune, fame, passion, heartbreak, and success. On this episode's Behind the Behind the Music, we're going to pour some sugar on ourselves. We're going to get hysterical. We're going to get pyromaniacal. We're going to talk about Def Leopard. Ash, how are you? Oh, I'm loving that intro. I'm loving that intro, man. <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I have been rehearsing this intro in my head <laughs> since I watched the episode on like on the elliptical like a week ago. And and they used the words, they used this sentence, served a double shot of blessed <laughs> and misfortune or blessing and misfortune or something like that. The tragedy and triumph of Death Leopard. Oh, I told you last time. I wish I could be a writer on this show because it's just perfect. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. I just want to write those sound bites. It's perfect. This 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 episode is the reason why you decide to make a podcast where you watch <laughs> all of the behind the music. Yeah, it's true. It's like, true. You muscle through the Andy Gibbs and the Jim Croce's so you can get a Death Leopard. To get to the goal that is the Death Leopard episode. Now this week's um, subject is so important to us, not just because of their impact on our childhoods, I'm sure, mm-hmm. but you live in Sheffield in yes. England, correct? That is correct. Which is the home of Def Leppard. Yep. Now, One of our proud things. Are the streets named after the members? They are not. No, there's not really anything commemorating them. People don't go to, like, Joe Elliott's mom's house and, like, hang out? No, man. Not that I know of. I've I've never really uh, heard anything about that. Uh-huh. I mean, I think they kind of... Because one of the kids from One Direction is from near here. He's not from Sheffield, but just outside. So I think that kind of overshadowed everything. So everyone's <laughs> moved on to One Direction. <laughs> they were camping outside of his mom's house. Oh, my, um, oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I would... Uh, I would like to see a Def Leppard One Direction mashup song, like maybe a team, team up. up. I think they should. You know what I mean? Like I think they should just get get it together. I mean, Def Leppard are back on tour now. They're coming to Sheffield. They could do. They could easily do a, you know, a half and half show with them. Oh my goodness! Are you gonna go <laughs> see that show? Uh, we thought about it, and then we looked at the price of tickets. It went mm, pass. Oh okay. It was it was a yeah. lot. They, it's a lot. They're looking a little leathery. Yeah. I don't know if they got to pay for some Botox, but those tickets are pretty expensive. So I think that's so this episode that I watched was actually technically the Def Leppard behind uh, music remastered. So it had some recent shots of the characters kind of reflecting on their career. Uh Uh-huh. And it's amazing to me that these British guys from... Uh, you know, a hardworking, tough steel town. I don't know if it was a steel town, but in my head, it was like the Billy Joel steel towns in the. No, it very much was. Oh, okay. Like, um, not so much now. I mean, it's called Steel City. Sheffield's called Steel City over here. And um, actually, fun fact: the White House, um, all their cutlery was made in Sheffield. No kidding! Like the American yes. White House. Yes. <laughs> That's wild. We were, we were famous for like cutlery and stuff like that. We're, we kind of Sheffield kind of died out in the eighties because Margaret Thatcher like shut down all the mills and stuff like that and but yeah there's still a few kicking around but we're Uh, still known as steel city oh wow that's wild so like the pittsburgh (laughs) of the uk in a sense yes yes very much so very cool is it having a hipster renaissance like pittsburgh um 
Yeah, I mean, it's Sheffield's a university town, so we get a lot of the, like, young hipster uni students and stuff, and there's, like, a part in town where they all sort of hang out. Like, there's, like, a really cool street in Sheffield with all the cool, unique shops and vegan restaurants and da-da-da, and they all hang out around there. Sort of artsy district, I guess you could say. Very cool. So so these old guys from this gritty town, when they Mm -hmm. show them... In this sort of updated setting, Joe Elliott with his sunglasses and his quaffed hair and leathery face. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like the amount at which they've started to morph into looking like Jewish grandmothers is amazing. <laughs> like, like, you throw in Beverly Goldberg, like the real one, and you basically have like Frentas hanging out together. <laughs> Oh my goodness! There's a new game for us. Is it Frentas or is it a band? <laughs> yes. Which Frent- one is it? <laughs> <laughs> like just a shot of hair. That's all you get to see is just like from the forehead up. Frentas or band? Which one is it? Uh, yeah. Is it is it Essie Carp or is it <laughs> Rick Savage? I don't know. <laughs> who knows? This is for the, the this section is for the the five gold nerds who will listen to this event. Will probably listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, uh, so, anyways, all right. Let's get into the let's get into the program. So, do it. All right. As I as I walk us through the history, I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you some questions and, and get your thoughts. Um, okay. So it starts off in the scene as many of these stories start with, which is the, you know they these guys coming from this like rough town they don't really you know unclear what their future is going to be they didn't mm-hmm. they worked in an oh an abandoned spoon factory maybe it was the there fact <laughs> uh or no they they um they rehearsed in an abandoned spoon factory and then they they, they were 18 years old when they got going again I, i'm always amazed right one direction i don't know how old those guys were right but they were hardly like a Pull yourself up from your bootstraps, do or die rock band that started in in a spoon factory, correct? Oh no! I mean, One Direction started on X Factor over here. Oh really? Or or, or some or Britain's Got Talent, one of those sort of like X Factory American Idol shows. That's God. how they started. I mean, the, these guys in Def Leppard, they were like, we either have no jobs or we're going to rock, and that, yeah, that is awesome. So then they tour for they tour in support for ACDC and Sammy Hagar. And uh, have you ever seen ACDC in concert? I have. You, well, you grew up in Canada. Do you remember the SARS concert in Toronto? Oh, yeah. I remember the SARS concert. We went to that and uh, ACDC was on the on the list. It was awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, they, so the, I saw them on what ended up being their last, like, real tour, um, the Black Ice tour. And in their 60s or 70s, it was one of the greatest concerts I've ever seen. I couldn't believe it. So I'm imagining them at their prime, and then I'm imagining these 18-year-old kids... These punks. <laughs> ...opening up and blowing people away. I mean, again, I, I sort of... I never really thought about how, in order to break through and be known as, you know, this band, Def Leppard, like, they had to be very good in concert. They had to get known, and I, I never really thought of them that way. So... I mean, to get on that bill, they have to be pretty good. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's crazy. Exactly. So I was I started off just very, very impressed with where these guys um, with where these guys come from. And as they start to get a little bit of success and they make I guess they I didn't know they had albums before Pyromania, but they had a couple. 
And yeah, then, I think I think the hardcore fans are the ones that hold those. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and then they make Pyromania, which um, I, I can't say, like, I know which songs are from Pyromania per se, but I do know that it was produced by the famed husband of Shania Twain, yeah, Mutt Lang. Mutt Lang. Yep. Is it awesome? Did you have the same? Would you have that same reaction if I said Mutt Lang? Like, would you think Def Leppard producer or Shania Twain husband? Shania Twain husband. Yeah. <laughs> well, sure. X isn't it? It's X husband. Oh, really? What a dirtbag! I, th- I think so. I think so. I'm just blaming but- him in that one. <laughs> I think it was his fault, yeah. if I recall correctly. But we have Shania coming up in some one of these seasons, so we'll probably get all the dish. Ah, oh, Shania, man, I gotta tell you. Well, anyways, I just. That that she, you know, loved Shania. I remember, like, just, you know, Music Plus or Much Music. I was like, who is this? Yep. Like, especially before she got all fancy. And she was just sort of like... <laughs> I'm yeah, from- and became political. <laughs> um, okay, so then as Pyromania comes, there's a moment in the show where they say, soon their excess, uh, soon, their, <laughs> soon their success was met, uh, met <laughs> terrible soon their success met with excess <laughs> of course <laughs> and they were partying hard i actually think like one of their original players like drank himself out of the band originally yeah and then they brought in a guy named phil collin mm-hmm. now not collins right how about that <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get over it. I was like, Phil Collin, huh? Didn't think that he... Didn't think about changing his name. No, it's not S. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, he has nothing to answer for. It's Phil <laughs> Collin. <laughs> um, and so they start to get... They start to get pretty famous. And then... Uh, and they're, you know, they're drinking and partying and all of that. And then kind of the big moment. And they really devoted a lot of time to this. You know, because every... every um, Behind the music needs those down moments. In fact, I actually think the moment where uh, what's his name, Steve, Steve Allen, Rick Allen. Oh man, now I'm now I'm. <laughs> I think now I'm confused. Steve Allen's the is a comedian. I was gonna and, say it's... <laughs> Rick Allen is the drummer. Yes. So he has two arms at this point in the story. Yeah, Rick Allen. Yeah, he has two arms at this point in the story, and then they devote a good ten minutes to he's driving. In an Alfa Romeo. I like that they gave us that detail. Do they still make those cars? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So he's driving in an Alfa Romeo. He loses his temper. And in lose... road rage. Exactly. Some kind of road rage moment. His car gets smashed or smashes. And the seatbelt tears his arm off. So it was this... Now... um, and he went into shock, and so he didn't bleed out. And he's found by a woman named Doreen Billington, who mm-hmm. is actually a nurse. Mm-hmm. And How lucky is that? <laughs> I know. Jeez, right? Talk about things that are meant to be. And she says to him, and, and, and as she picks him up, he goes, I'm a famous drummer. I've lost my arm. Mm-hmm. And then the police officer, whose name is Anthony Beavis, which, <laughs> like, I, I can't help but laugh. <laughs> uh, finds him 
and they reconnect his arm after four hours of surgery. I did not know his arm got reconnected at first. I didn't either. I just thought it got lost until I watched this this episode. Yeah, so they found it in like the in like the field. In a field, yeah. <laughs> they sew they sewed back on, and then again they went into extraordinary detail. It does make you wonder, like, was there less music to talk about that they had to go into the surgery, or they were just like, look, if people are watching the Def Leppard behind the music, they came to hear about this arm. Well, that's the thing. I mean, if you say Def Leppard, I mean, my name is Earl made a joke about it. Like, <laughs> you always just think of the one arm drummer. You know what I mean? So you can't, you got to devote a good portion of your episode to that. But, okay. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. Because you, again, you, you really study the craft of television show drama creation. Like, <laughs> I'm just going on, like, people's reactions. Like, when you say Def Leppard, people are like, one arm drummer. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> so, so the arm gets, in, so then the arm's back on, and then it gets infected. And, like, it gets so infected that not only do they have to take it off, but I didn't know this, he almost lost his other arm. Yeah. (laughs) Like, what is happening? This, I mean, very, very dramatic. And then he decides to do this amazing thing where he builds this electronic drum set and he starts, you know, playing again. Have you ever overcome adversity at that level in your life? No, I've never lost a limb or anything like that. No. An injury no. of any sorts? Um No, not really. I No. No. Like nothing life-changing like that. Thank yeah, God. Yeah, I mean, I I slipped a disc once and and had to have back surgery and Ooh. laid on my back watching the Canadian curling team win the gold for like 2 weeks before the surgery. Or no, no, not before the surgery, before the doctor said I needed surgery and then it had happened like many weeks later. But no, nothing like this. But all I kept thinking is, you know, on this merit alone, should this band be enormous, right? Like just yeah. the fact that this guy was able to do this was incredible. Like, what adversity have I overcome? Like, just think about this guy whenever you get a chance. Exactly, yeah. And, but what I also didn't know is that when they brought him back, they brought up, they brought a backup drummer to play, yeah. play aside, play aside him. How would you feel in that scenario? You've lost a limb, your band's like, yeah, you can stay in the band, but we're just going to have this other guy play your parts just in case. Yeah, you'd feel kind of slighted, wouldn't you? Especially when he went through all the, the sort of putting together his own kind of drum kit that he could play you know what I mean but I guess from the band's point of view it's like well we're a huge success at this point because like Hysteria had come out and like Pour Some Sugar On Me was like huge you know uh, song so they needed they needed the backup I get it from both points of view but if I was him I'd be a bit like well thanks for the support guys (laughs) (laughs) right you'd think also they'd know he could play before they put him on stage Right? Yeah, like, I mean, like, I'm sure he didn't just roll up to, like, an arena, you know, like, six months after this accident with, like, his homemade drum kit and be like, hey, guys, I'm back. And they're like, what? No. <laughs> like, they knew. They knew. They probably rehearsed with him. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so so he so he plays. He blows them away. The other guy actually shows up late to the first show. And so he actually, I think, never plays with them. He no. Bow, he, he bows out. <laughs> And then they sell, you know, and then they sell 15 um, 
uh, or no, they actually the album stalls and then they release. And now we've got to go deep on this. They release Pour Some Sugar on Me. There we go. And they sell like four million albums right away. No one sells four million anything in music anymore that I know. Oh, gosh. No. No. I mean, maybe. Although maybe Beyonce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like, you got your Beyonce's, your Taylor Swift's, <clears throat> but no rock band. I mean, is there a rock band that. No. I can't think of one. No. I think the sort of pop has, has overtook the, the you know, the rock bands. That's right. So, pour some sugar on me. Do you remember this music video? I don't. No. So, so it's just your typical 80s guys on stage, you know, rocking. And Joe Elliott has these jeans that are ripped within an inch of their life. And... <laughs> Which was the look back then. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're ripped everywhere, you know, from top to bottom. Like, you know, if you were a kid who had, like, some ripped jeans and you walked around, you might have, like, one little hole. But these were, like, rock star jeans. Like, the rips yeah. were just everywhere. Yeah. And I remember hanging out with one of my older friends, right? I had a, and he had this hysteria tape, which that, that cover, you know, with the sort of looks yeah. like a screaming face. And then he said, you've got to hear, you got to see this video for Pour Some Sugar on Me. And so we watched it on television. And I remember just thinking, these guys with their ripped jeans and their screaming face tape, this band is dangerous. I was, like, <laughs> I was like scared. In my mind, this was heavy metal. <laughs> oh, that's, that's beautiful. <laughs> do, do you have any Pour Some Sugar on Me memories? Um... I mine's actually quite similar. I never watched the music video, but my friend next door, my best friend next door, had the the tape as well, hysteria tape, and we always used to because we had a pool in our back garden, so he would always come over and like hang out and swim, and you know we just chill out. We were, you know, young best friends or whatever, and he brought the tape over to play, and he was like, "This is my favorite song ever, man, favorite song ever," and I was like, "Okay, what? I've never heard of these guys. What is it? You know?" Because at the time I was into like New Kids and da da, you know, like I was into like pop pop from like my sister. And then I remember the album playing and being like, this is really cool. And then he's like, here it is, man. This is the best song ever. And I was like, this is really cool. But yeah, influenced by friends. I was never like, these are dangerous, though. I was yeah, just no, like, I, was, I like, I like drums and jumping around. Yeah, I was like, this is not the monkeys. Or. You know, <laughs> ooh, Billy Definitely Joel. not. Like, my, we were a very much a Billy Joel. You know, Michael Jackson, the monkeys rotation in our house. And so, like, there's oh, no, wow. my parents did not. And I was the oldest, so I had to hear about Def Leppard from other people, not my parents. Yeah. And, okay, so the other thing that I think about when I think of Pour Some Sugar on Me is do you remember VH1 used to do these, like, they always had the same kind of group of comedians. Uh, they would recount like an era like a particular decade or they would do like the best week ever yes yes i do yeah and i always felt like pour some sugar on me would come up and they would always do the same sort of pattern of comedy which would be like yes please pour some sugar on me or what is the sugar you know like it was always the same questions <laughs> oh lord <laughs> so at the risk of repeating that though what is this song about is like sugar uh, is the sugar a metaphor for love? Is it is it more of a like a bodily fluid situation? Like what is the sugar? I, I don't know. I never really thought of it, but I would well, it could go either way, really, couldn't it? 
I would I would lean more towards like sugar love because you know like give me some sugar. Yeah. Okay. All right. You know, we're, we're gonna that's go. How I would interpret it. We're gonna go with the G rated. And the bottle that they're breaking and shaking is that like a <laughs> bottle of champagne? <laughs> Possibly. Or maybe they're just not that deep, and it actually is pour some actual sugar on me, and here's a, a thing of sugar. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't write it. <laughs> Do you remember the Simpsons episode? I don't remember which one. The crossover. Which, which the, one? The, the Family Guy Simpsons crossover? Is that what you're going to talk about? No, uh, I oh. didn't know that happened. Uh, no, I'm... What? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that happened. No, I'm thinking of this one where there's like a big pile of sugar in the... In the... Oh, in the middle of the road. And and the guy and it's just like a playoff of Scarface. Once you get the sugar, you get the power. Yeah. Oh, that's all yeah, yeah. Popped in my head. Okay, so no, I thought you were gonna talk about the Simpsons um, Family Guy crossover because they actually play "Pour Some Sugar on Me" and it's the only. This whole scene is the only thing I can now think of when I hear the song. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. I, I will send you the clip because it's funny. I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this have seen this episode, and it, it it's just. It's just hilarious. All right, I need to digress for one moment, though, and say Family Guy or Simpsons? Oh, Simpsons, you know. Yeah, okay. All right, because there isn't really an in-between on this one. Like, (laughs) Yeah, you're either one or the other, but I would have to say both are really crap now. (laughs) (laughs) But if I had to go, like, early Simpsons beats early Family Guy for me. Could, could, yeah, because Simpsons season three I have on DVD, which, by the way, I watched with my kids and while my parents were over, and they freaked out. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, because, you know, now that, I mean, I remember I was my kid's age when I, when not, no, I was a little bit older, but my, my sisters were definitely their age when we watched The Simpsons, and it was, like, on in, like, a family time time slot, but it's pretty yeah. dark. It's pretty dark show. It's got, like, alcoholism, and, like, yeah. people are very mean and kids today are just like super sensitive and like wimpy like they don't have like 80s things to grow up with so well see, this is the problem so you're raising your kids correctly by putting you know by showing them 80s cartoons and stuff because a lot of those were dark yeah 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 exactly yeah. but like in the first time i showed them an episode it had, i think it's something to do with lisa and a horse and Lisa has to give the horse away or something. And oh my gosh, where Homer has to get the second job and then he falls asleep in the, uh, in the Quickie Mart door and it just keeps like closing on his head. <laughs> I, I think that might be it. In it's any my event, favorite episode. In any event, like that one, like my kids didn't know the show was supposed to be funny at first and they just cried because they were upset. They were like, <laughs> like they felt <laughs> empathy for the they felt empathy, empathy for the characters. Oh, that's so cute. They, they're, they're fine now, right? Like, they know no, no, they're fine. No, no. Then they wanted to watch it, and that's when my parents freaked out. Um, oh. Okay, so Pour Some Sugar on Me blows up. And uh-huh. there's this vignette in the in the episode where they go through great pains to tell you that you might have thought Def Leppard were sort of not dangerous, but oh no, they were crazier than Motley Crue and crazier than uh, uh, Poison or whoever else. Poison, yeah. And that during the show, they would do a drum solo and Joe Elliott would sort of traipse around and talk to the audience. And then Mm -hmm. the band would go under the stage to take a break. And Mm -hmm. in that area under the stage, there was all topless women. And it was described as Sodom and Gomorrah meets a Fellini film. (laughs) Which is a beautiful description. That's just... Uh, perfectly worded, I think. Yeah, I feel like, you know, it's funny how, this is sort of like a bigger, maybe a deeper question, how in some ways 
because this was a while ago, there's a certain romanticizing that everyone can get away with of that era. But yeah. Like, and, and I think that in this, you know, and that rock stars in general get away with it a little bit more because of that rock star dangerous. But like nowadays, could you imagine if, the, you know, again, I keep using wonder. It's amazing how my analogy to Def Leppard is one direction. <laughs> but <laughs> like British. if you heard that one direction was like having like a Fellini-esque Caligula, you know, adventure under the stage while these like teenagers were outside. You'd believe it. <laughs> you want that with you, you know what I mean? Like you'd be like, yeah, sounds about right. So, so they're so these guys are huge, and then Steve Clark, who's one of the um, founding members, um, uh, drank and kind of lost his mind, and um, they. Joe Elliott, man, is super unsympathetic in this in this <laughs> yeah. description. He says, my buddy Steve was in the asylum with a bunch of lamppost scratchers. Is that a British expression? Is that like a thing you call people? Uh, yeah, I think so. You know, like, I think the sort of American version would be like window liquor. <laughs> you ever heard that? No, but all right. Is this like, like one, like one flew over the cuckoo's nest is what we're talking about here? Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, people that don't know where they are and what what's going on and just yeah, completely just gone mentally. And what and what made what found him what what got him there was he was found in a gutter in Minneapolis like he disappeared. <laughs> yeah, for like was it weeks or something? Uh, I think it was like a couple of days he was missing. Was it a couple of days? I it might have been now. a few weeks, but yeah, he was missing, and then he was found in a gutter by some people. So if like, you. Essentially, rock star is that like literally found in a gutter. Oh yeah, that's amazing. You know I mean? You can be that. Now I have a question: If you were going to find a rock star in a gutter, who would you most like to stumble upon? Ooh, as in to like be like like are they drunk or like, like okay? <laughs> so I, here's the scenario: I'm walking and I'm like here's, find them. Here's the scenario: You're in Sheffield, you're walking to work, and in okay. the gutter is blank. And you bring them back to your house, and you nurse them back to health, and then you just you become friends for life. Ooh, probably Dave Grohl. Whoa, great choice. Yeah. I, I I love him. Have you seen him in concert? Yes, many many times, but never with Nirvana. Always with Food Fetters. Yeah. So I we had this amazing experience back here where a new venue opened up in D.C. called the Anthem. It is an incredible venue. We had never had an indoor venue that was bigger than. Our, our famous place here is called the 930 Club. It was bigger than your sort of big club, like your few thousand person club. Like we needed something bigger for like the winter months for, uh-huh. for a band like Foo Fighters to come and play. And Dave Grohl, who was from this area, was friends with the owner uh, and creator of that venue. And he apparently, the rumor behind the scenes is he said, I'm opening up this venue. No other act is going to be the ones to open this up. We're friends since we were little. The you know Foo Fighters are coming to do this. And a friend of mine worked on the construction company that built the building. And so, like, the day of a pre... So, the so Foo Fighters were playing a show, but mm. they um, they were doing, like, a free preview for friends and family the night before. So, it was only, like, a couple of thousand people. Um, mm. And I got to go to this show. And they were supposed to only come out and play for an hour. And they played, like, a full two-and-a-half-hour show. Oh! glory and Dave Grohl ran through the audience playing guitar like with his remote guitar and I was like oh if anyone's going I mean this guy's going in the Rock and Hall Hall of Fame twice for sure Uh, like oh oh my goodness (laughs) and and not to bring any hate on me 
because I, I respect Nirvana and I respect Kurt Cobain and I wish he'd been around longer to do some other stuff. But at this point, I got to say, like, Dave Grohl's body of work, after having seen him perform live, is more impressive than just the vignette of Nirvana on its own. He was, he was the drummer of Nirvana, yeah. 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 No, I, I get that. But I think, it, like you said, it's because Kurt was not around long enough to sort of make a bigger, lasting legacy. But I, I kind of treat them as two different entities. Dave Grohl was always my favorite in Nirvana, because I don't know, again, I think, I said before, like, I have a thing for drummers, and I just thought he was adorable. He's funny. Uh, yeah. He was so funny. Yeah. Yeah, and he was into X-Files, and he's into Aliens, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is my dream guy. <laughs> yeah, he, he has a great sense of humor. I, I feel like, you know that he's in, I want to say that, do you know Tenacious D? Yeah, ridiculous. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm pretty sure he plays the devil in the greatest song in the world video that they have. He probably does because they're good friends. Oh, yeah. Okay. You. I, I don't know. Now I like don't think I could come up with someone because Dave Grohl is such a great choice for a guy. Because <laughs> I think like believably you could find him in a gutter. Um, yeah, but he would have tripped and fell. Okay. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah. He's rehabilitated. <laughs> I think it's sort of like because he's got kids now and he's been married for years and years. Like I think his sort of like party heyday. If, if it ever was that extreme, is over now. Yeah, which yeah. Which I'm totally fine with. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> All right. So, so Steve Allen, uh, Steve Allen, I keep calling these guys Steve Allen. Steve Allen. Steve Allen. I'm going to no. Google Steve Allen. He's like an old Jewish comedian, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, he is. Uh, so, Steve Clark dies according to um, his, according to his girlfriend at the time so he was mixing drugs alcohol and prescriptions and prozac and alcohol and valium and a lot of stress and his heart stopped uh working or or compression of the brain stem from alcohol some horrible you know thing uh collection of things that would kill you but his wife described or his girlfriend at the time describes it as well he died of a broken heart and i'm like "Mm, i think he's the one that broke it yeah, no. I've heard that analogy before, probably on Behind the Music, and I remember it, whatever it was pertaining to was, like, so completely accurate, but this is not. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then they come out with, and I don't know if you remember this, but for me, growing up in Montreal, which, lo- I mean, Montreal is a city that I think is perpetually stuck in the, like, late 80s, early 90s, in, in all the best <laughs> okay. ways. But, like, Def Leppard putting something out was, like, a like an event in the city. And their album, Adrenalize, came out. Do you remember Adrenalize at all? I can't say I do. Not by the name, no. So, Adrenalize had this song called Let's Get Rocked. And I was a big music video consumer, and mm-hmm. Let's Get Rock, um, Let's Get Rocked, had a CGI video. It had a video whereby there was this kid who was like mowing lawns and fighting against the man, but he looked like. Do you remember Reboot? Oh God, yeah. And it was designed like Reboot. Now this song came out in ninety one, ninety two. So this was like major, major special effects. And wow. it was a very, very cool it was a very, very cool um uh 
very, very cool video. And uh, Adrenalize, this was also the era of, like, the bar mitzvah scene, the bar mitzvah circuit in Montreal mm-hmm. of, like, my age group. And many kids got Adrenalize, like, as a bar mitzvah gift so or, or, or with their gift certificates to – did you have Discus or A&A Music or the, the – in, in your part of Canada? Yeah, we had Sam Goody, Tower. Um, oh, you had Tower. You're in the English part Tower. of Canada. That's why. We, we had not. Tower. Yeah. <laughs> we only had it in Toronto, though, so don't get crazy. Oh, okay. Um, Sunrise. Do you remember Sunrise? Was that no. in Quebec? We, we had Discus and we had A&A. Those were the two. There no. We, those are well gone. I mean, they did not. Oh, they're all well gone. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing left. Um, so, so anyways, Adrenalize to me was a big deal. And then there was this other great pop culture moment that they were involved in, which to me was actually like a huge personal pop culture moment. And that is, do you remember after Freddie Mercury died, the the Queen tribute show at Wembley Stadium that had all of those famous artists perform together? No. Okay, so it was... I don't really remember when Freddie Mercury died. What year did he die? I want to say I want to say ninety one, but I'm going to check here. Um, mm. He he died in ninety one, and uh, yeah, November ninety one, and okay. they did a concert in Wembley Stadium, and the the concert is amazing. I mean, I remember this is like sort of this for me was again kind of my first introduction to a lot of um, to a lot of these big famous artists that I didn't really know. So here's the list of people that performed at this. Okay. Okay. Metallica, Extreme, cool. Def Leppard, Bob Geldof, Spinal Tap, U2, Guns N' Roses, uh, Elizabeth Taylor made a speech. And then, Why not? Break, break up the music with. <laughs> and then with the members of Queen. So those were, those were like the opening acts. And then with the members of Queen, Joe Elliott and Slash, Roger Daltrey and Tony Iommi, Gary Sharon from uh, Extreme, Robert Plant, James wow. Hetfield, um, uh, Paul Young. What was Paul Young from? Uh, I don't remember, but he played uh, Seal, <laughs> Lisa Stansfield. And then the most amazing moment is, and this is worth Googling, David Bowie and Annie Lennox doing Under Pressure. David Bowie comes out in this green neon suit and Annie Lennox is wearing her like bizarro makeup stuff and absolutely incredible. And then George Michael sings Somebody to Love in what one could argue is like the most definitive version of Somebody to Love ever done other than that that of Queen. In Mm. fact, it was released on his greatest hits i don't know why i know this but that's how that's what a big deal that version of and then elton john and axel rose performed together which was also a big deal because um uh, axel rose i think had gone on one of his major horrific like homophobic rants or something like that at the time and i remember hearing about that in the guns and roses like documentary yeah and and Elton John performed with him, and not the first time Elton John would do that with somebody because he also played no Eminem, and that that yeah. also was a great performance. Anyways, yeah. So this concert was huge for me. That that and I remember Def Leppard being a part of it because I remember watching it with my friend um, Marrakesh's cousin Paul, who is from England, who is the biggest <laughs> Def Leppard fan ever, and we were watching it in her basement. We were watching the concert, and he was giving me like director's commentary of everything about Def Leppard as we're watching the stuff about Queen. 
And, um, wow. Yeah. And so I have this very, it's like very, VIP very, treatment. Very, very vivid memory. But the other thing that this show was really significant for me for was that I think Wayne's World had just come out. Um, uh, Wayne, mm-hmm. Wayne's World must have just come out, which means everyone my age knew about Queen, our age knew about Queen because Bohemian Rhapsody. Of course. And it was through this performance that I learned about AIDS and what AIDS was and what ah. and, and and the importance of, you know, helping people and not being afraid of the disease. I mean, I, I never was afraid of it because I didn't know what it was till I saw this concert. Well, yeah. But every I mean, for me, this, you know, if they were like, yeah, we're really going to teach people and change the world with this concert. I don't know if they did. But for me, this was the moment where I came to understand the importance of that issue. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, the Freddie Mercury concert, big. They moment. kind of, they kind of, you know, did their job then, didn't they? Yeah. Because even if they always say, like, even if you just hit one person, right. you've done your job. So <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, and then I will tie. I'll tie. I'll tie up. Of course, I have. After we finish the story, I have many questions, but I'll okay. tie up the story and just flash it forward to Philly, which has a, a huge place in our heart because of the Goldbergs. But in the in the um, in this remastered version, when they give a little epilogue about how Def Leppard's bigger than ever, which they always say whenever they get these guys to come back, it's like, Whoa. Uh, yeah, of course. They played at Live Eight, which was yes. uh, uh, I forget what that concert was about, as opposed to the Freddie Mercury one, which I remember. Was and it Famine? That sounds about right. It seemed Famine. Yeah. Uh, they played for like it says a million and two hundred thousand people. A million two hundred thousand people. Well, that because it was. Um, I think it was like live broadcast, wasn't it? Like oh, simultaneously. May, maybe that's it. Maybe that's. It. I think so. So they played there, and uh, and then they're still they're still touring, which is pretty cool. There you go. So all right, Def Leppard. What right? What do they mean to you, um, overall in your in your life? In my life. Or in your pop culture <clears throat> knowledge? Um, I don't... After what... I think my opinion of them changed. Because, like I said, my opinion of them before... Like, I was a fan of their, like, singles and stuff. I'm not, like, a hardcore fan. But, like, having seen especially what the drummer went through, you're like, wow, they kind of went through a lot to get to where they are. Like, what you were saying earlier, like, these kids pulled themselves up at 18 and you know went well we're either gonna have to work in a steel mill or down the pit or you know go for our dreams i was like oh that's that's pretty inspirational you know but prior to this documentary i was like "Mm, they're just the sort of collection you know one of a number of hair bands from like the 80s so yeah yeah that's my impression of them yeah to me they're this band again that i originally thought was really dangerous and find that funny. <laughs> there's a lot of things we're going to find out about what I was afraid of as we go through this. <laughs> That's a whole new podcast. The extent of my fears and neuroses is is whoa long. Um, uh, yeah, uh, I, I'm yeah. I, I sort of like. I, there's still a band where I think I can only name like three or four songs. Yeah. But the notion of them I like, and learning about them and learning how hard they worked. That meant a lot to me. That that yeah. impressed me. Like I love finding out that these guys, that the quality of the live show in particular is something that brings these bands fame. And it seems like that was something they really had to work for in the early days. And that that yeah. sticks with me from this. Yeah, I have a special, like I said, I have a special place in my heart for people that 
follow what they want to do and really have to work hard. Like, I don't want to hear, I was in the right place at the right time. Like, I hate those stories. I want to hear, you know, we failed 17 times and got kicked out of clubs and da da da. No one would hire us. And then finally we made it, you know, after persevering. I want to hear that. And the yeah, absolutely. That that is a fun part of these things because again, you learn to respect these guys. Even if even if you didn't like the music, and I like the music, but even if you didn't like the music, you're like, oh wow, I really respect. Like I like if yeah. I were to if I were to put these guys up to like Mamas and the Papas, who we did last time. Last week, like yeah. I res- I respect Def Leppard's effort more than the Mamas and the Papas. Same. Who just seem to be like swimming they had a in a lot pool more to overcome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the Mamas and the Papas were like swimming in a pool doing acid, you know. Yeah. It was a lot easier back in the '60s versus like the '80s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, there's a lot, a lot of competition. Uh, the other thing that I, I think about is, I just is when I think about this band is I think about how the first time I did karaoke to this song, how smart and cool I thought I was that I was like, oh, let's do pour some sugar on me. No <laughs> one's gonna think of that. And then the whole room goes crazy, and you feel like a rock star because everyone's uh, yes, like your singing along, and you're like, "Yes, I picked, I picked the right song. This is my jam." And then you do karaoke one or two more times, and you realize that you're the fifth person in any night if you've picked yeah, that song. Yeah, true. I've done that song. <laughs> yep. And do you do karaoke ever? I do not. Okay. My husband does, but I do not. Oh, what does he sing? Um, the last time he did it, he sang, um, Anarchy in the UK by the Sex Pistols. Is he a singer? Um, no, he's not, but he, he's got, he's got a pretty decent voice to say he doesn't sing. Oh, cool. All right. That's I, the... I can't hold a note to save my life. Oh, so. I can't at all. Um, I, he, he, um, to do that song, you gotta have some guts cause that's, you gotta have some edge to do that, to pull that song. Yeah. Off, right. Otherwise... He, he pulled it off. He did well. Very cool. I, um... My my karaoke song, so I cannot sing at all, uh, but I, I try, uh, let's see, the karaoke song that I've done the most is, Is She Really Going Out With Him by Joe, she... Joe Jackson. It is a, it's a song that I played in my band. I mean, I, I was the drummer for it. I did not sing this in my actual band, but it. Howie, the guy that I play with, has used to do this great interactive bit where if you, you, you'd you say, look over there, and then you get the audience to yell where, and that would be like my bit when I do it. Okay. Nice. And then I'd also nice. sing Tracks of My Tears by, by um, Smokey Robinson, which I, is, to me is one of the like four greatest songs ever written, but like it, it's a borderline war crime Like when I sing that song. Like... <laughs> like they should send me to the Hague if I sing it again. It's like horrific. Oh man, it's the worst with, thing with, you've ever heard. With Kermit the Frog, have you seen the Muppets movie? Uh, does he sing that song? Well, no, he's in the Hague because Tina oh. Fey sings the song, doesn't she? <laughs> okay, got it. Yeah. All right, sorry. Uh, I, uh, um, okay, now here is we've been we've been playing a game. We've we had a running bit on the on on the program, and uh-huh. I want to play it with you right now. And this okay. is the Body Parts Showdown. Okay. Right. Okay. So, right. So, just to recap, in episode one, we talked about Andy Gibbs' chest hair. In episode two, Jim Croce's mustache beat Mm -hmm. out Andy Gibbs' chest hair. Yeah. In episode three, huge throwdown here. Okay. I need a rationale. I need your reason for who the winner is. Jim Croce's mustache. Yeah. Versus Rick Allen's severed arm. Not the one that stayed on his body. (laughs) What? But the one that, that. that rotted. It's probably buried in Sheffield, right? It's probably still in that field. Um, <laughs> I have to choose between a mustache and a severed arm. Yeah. <laughs> this, 
I know this is the <laughs> tough one. This is like the Sophie's Choice of rock star body parts. This is insane. Okay, um, I'm gonna have to go with the mustache because I'm terrified of the arm. <laughs> okay, all right. Like, if I was walking in a field and found a body part, I'd be like, nope, I'm out of here, bye. But could you, you imagine know? if you were walking in a field and you found a mustache? Uh, uh, yeah, no. At least the mustache usually generally stays on your face. You're not really going to lose a mustache unless it's in the sink. But yeah, That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. Jim Croce's mustache survives another another week. Yeah. Um, do, you have, do you have any questions for me about this Def Leppard stuff? Let's see. Well, I want to know what your answer is. Mustache or arm? Oh, I'm going to go severed arm, 100%. Really? Okay, so, what's the logic behind that one? Because, okay, so I, there's there's a lot to this logic. Okay, so okay. number one, number one, the severed arm to me is this enigmatic thing in history. Like, although it's not really, it's retroactively. Like, now that I've followed Def Leppard and I know that the arm got back on the body and then left the body, and to the extent that I'm even wondering, like, did they bury it? Is it in Sheffield? Can you go see it? Is it in a jar of formaldehyde in his house? Like... To me, I don't know who I don't know who we're doing next, but the the arm for me is the is the body part to be. <laughs> okay, that's that's fine. So so I'm gonna so this is then you know what we'll we'll have the we'll keep this going and we'll have me down for the arm and you down for the mustache. Well, and, I mean we can also have the listeners vote as well. Okay, mustache right, or arm. All right, mustache or arm. That is. <laughs> That's and then, then what, whatever one wins is what goes on to the final. This will be the this will be the promotional. We'll do one of those polls. Do you know how to do it, polls on? Twitter? I do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, okay. <laughs> We've been in soft launch mode, and now we're gonna have to launch because yeah. we need we need this vote before we record. We need mustache next, or arm. Mustache That's just entitled this episode. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's just going to be Jim Croce's mustache. And, and and the other reason why the severed arm, to bring it back to our pre-show zombie conversation, is that um, uh, the Evil Dead movies are just, like, among my favorite things in the world. And the severed hand that always pops yes. up once in a while is yes. just super. Um, that's, that's pretty good logic, that one, but all, the rest. All, like, all right. So I shall shall I wrap us up? Let's do it. All yeah. right. So we just heard we covered ourselves in sugar and hysteria and lit it all on fire with some pyromaniacal, adrenalizing fun <laughs> and heard the success, heartbreak, passion, fame, fortune and glory of Def Leppard. Ash, thank you for doing this with me. This is a joy. Always a pleasure, my sir. <laughs> Have a great week. <laughs> See ya.